You better not be winding me up or I'll have your gnats for knuckle bones. Gork will fix it. Or not. This is the Wargames Orchard. Welcome to the show, my name is GJ and today I will be talking to you about the Idol of Gork campaign pack that was released all the way back in 5th edition. Before I start, I do want to say thank you for all the positive responses that I've gotten on my last solo episode. I was a little bit nervous, uh, this was the first time for me doing something like that. And I must say, I have learned a lot. I've made uh, quite a few mistakes, at least the ones that have stood out to me, maybe not so much to you as a listener, so you don't know about it probably. I hope to do a little bit better this time, and um, your support means a lot to me. That's uh, something that I did want to say before we got started. Now something else that I have to mention before we get started is that as we do not have a fixed schedule for when this episode will be airing, we will skip the news and hobby section that we usually include in our episodes. This is just to give Nathan some breathing room uh, for if he is very busy in a certain week and cannot do a podcast on a certain time, then we have this one in reserve and well, we'll just see how it goes and when it will air. Something, uh, one of those tiny little mistakes that I made last time was something that I forgot to mention. And that was that many of the special characters that we discussed with the Grudge of Drawn campaign, and I believe even all of them, they do have their own miniatures. And these were more or less released as individual miniatures. Um, that could be used as just a generic, uh, maybe a minor champion for Crud, or maybe a dwarf hero for Drong. But all of these characters have been released as models. They have all been created as models. Now, for today's campaign pack, the Idol of Gork, we are not so lucky, and we only have a couple of the named characters that appear as models. And these are Nazgob, the Orc Shaman, Odgit, the Night Goblin Shaman, Rutgar, the Empire General, and Grotfang, the Orc Warboss. The campaign, the Idol of Gork, is set in the Border Princess. And what has been happening here is that it is set during um, what the booklet calls an era of relative peace, where the people of the Empire don't fight each other in civil wars, and they also don't have many enemies that are crossing their borders. So at this time, they seek to expand. And one of those people that have been expanding is a, a, a guy named Frederick. Uh, he bears the title Margraf. And Margraf Frederick, he is a friend of the Count of Wissenland, Count Wilhelm of Wissenland. Now, Count Wilhelm has two sons. And the oldest is, of course, going to take his place later on and become the new count but the youngest is uh, Rutgar and Rutgar he has plans to just become a general in his brother's service. It is at that point that Margraf Frederick um, he talks to Count Wilhelm and he says well I have just 
driven out some orcs from a portion in the Badlands and I seek someone who can defend these new lands for me. And it is Rutgar who is uh, sent off and, and who is actually willing to go. He quickly is able to gather a lot of followers and with a small army they go to the conquered lands and they're going to build a fortress there uh, called Rutgarsburg, named after Rutgar himself. Now it is a little bit difficult to determine when exactly this campaign is set and I have to say it took me a little bit of researching um, because there's just not much known about it and there are not many things that are, there are a few clues in the booklet but nothing quite outright saying this was then and then. I already mentioned that it was in a time of relative peace and one of the clues that we get in this book is that uh, in the second scenario a envoy is sent to Altdorf to recruit the help of some of the Imperial Wizards. So we know that this is then after the time that uh, after the time of the Great War of Chaos, during the reign of Magnus the Pious, uh, he the Empire the Emperor just after the Great War against Chaos, Magnus the Pious, he was the one who made the colleges well not so much made he he founded the colleges of magic so we know that this is after the uh, war against chaos which was at the early 2300s what we also know from this booklet is that uh, the events recorded here have been mostly compiled from two histories and one of them is from uh, a guy called the venerable ludwig who has written a long and probably quite boring history of the empire in uh, 22 volumes it was uh, 28 volumes i'm sorry i uh, well, what six volumes of history books between friends ye history of ye empire it is called and this man it is said the the venerable ludwig he lived about a century after the events of the idol of gork he probably, it also says, had access to the original diaries and manuscripts uh, of Rutgar. And it is said that those diaries and manuscripts have subsequently been destroyed in the Altdorf Fool's Day Fire of 41. Well, there is, this is, to my knowledge, the only reference to an Altdorf Fool's Day Fire of 41. We don't know which 41 it is, but it can logically only be 2441. Uh, for two reasons. If we talk about the 50s, then we mean the 1950s, because those are the, the past 50s, the latest 50s that we have had. So the, the year 41, with just an apostrophe in front of it, is probably referring to 2441 as the current time in the Warhammer world, or at least in 5th edition, is at the start of the 26th century. So 2441, uh, this was after the Venerable Ludwig had recorded all the histories and he lived 100 years after the events. So that would place the events of Idol of Gork somewhere in the first half of the 24th century. So in the reign of Magnus the Pious, after the founding of the Colleges of Magic, uh, after the Great War against Chaos. 
that was a little bit of research that I loved doing. I loved picking up these little pieces of the puzzle. And I was actually at one point afraid that I might not be able to determine a sort of ballpark time here. Because the... Um, well, of course, Warhammer is a game that many people have been working on and the lore has changed between editions. A lot of stuff has been retconned. So it was a little bit difficult, but um, a very enjoyable exercise to me, and I hope you enjoyed that too. Before we dive into the four campaigns, the four scenarios that make up this campaign, we will take a short look at the map. There's a map included of the general area. And this map has a single road leading off to the uh, northwest. And this is the road that leads to Margraf Frederick's castle and from there on to the Empire. The road leads past some mountains and some forests and it ends in Rutgarsburg, which is a small keep, or at least a keep that's being built, in the very center of the map. To the East of Rutgarsburg lie the Troll Rocks, which is a place that we will visit during one of these scenarios. To the south of Rutgarsburg lie the old uh, the Orc Idols, and those are of course the idols after which the entire campaign has been named. And to the uh, very south eastern end of the map, you have an Orc Camp, and this is Gorfang's Orc Camp. Gorfang is the orc leader of the uh, iron claw orcs and the iron claw orcs were the ones that had originally held these lands before margraf frederick drove them away and there is a very nice exchange in this book between grotfang and his shaman and his shaman is uh, none other than the infamous night goblin ortgit and it will be a little bit uncomfortable for me to do so, I'm going to tell you up front, but I am going to read this story to you. And please forgive me if I butcher the orc accents and uh, do the voices all wrong. In a shallow hollow between two wind-scarred hills, deep in the heart of the land named Border Princess, a wretched tent of mangy troll hide barely kept out the gale-driven dust. Within, perched on an iron stool, long since bent and smoothed to the shape of his nether regions, the once mighty orc warboss of the Iron Claw tribe, Grotfrank's cap, skulked and brooded on the fate of his people. With a dull rustle, the tattered door flap slapped open, and his trusted henchman, the peculiar goblin shaman Odgit, entered to disturb his gloomy cogitations. What do you want, Odgit? Can't you see I'm thinking? scowled Grotfang, poking at something stringy caught between two rotten teeth with a sharp, grime-rimmed talon. Listen, boss, replied the shaman with an ingratiating grin. I've been thinking myself, and I reckons I got a cunning plan. Just what I was needing. Another cunning plan, Grotfang grumbled sarcastically with a distinct lack of enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, but listen. This is the one, boss. This is it. I saw it in the bones, and you know they never lies. Odgit made an arcane sign with his fingers, as if to ward off an evil influence. 
He was an experienced shaman and he knew well the dangerous and arbitrary nature of the gifts the bones bestowed. If the bone says it, I suppose you better tell me then, Grotfang said, his interest now mildly aroused. There was something spooky about those bones, that was for sure, and no orc chieftain could afford to ignore their messages, no matter how daft and irrelevant they sometimes seemed at the time. Yeah, boss, you got it. Sure thing. Think back, back into the dim past. Do you remember when the human gits with the glitzy armor and cannons and stuff blasted your stronghold and wiped out your goblins down to the very last gobbo and smashed up your... Get on with it, Grothfang yelled as he gripped the shaman by the gruff of his grotty flea-ridden rags, shaking him so hard that several different species of beetle fell from the hidden crannies and scuttled into the dark corners of the tent. Okay, boss, okay. Don't hit me, boss. It was just reminding you, boss, that they never found the thingy what is hidden down there. It must still be there. What thingy? Grotfang panted dispositing the crook, the choking shaman back down on the ground without too much of a thump. Yeah, yeah, listen to this. It's the crown of Gork, boss. The awesome crown of Gork, what was buried under the great stone tribal idols since them times, imem, imumi, umimem, since flippin' ages ago. Never heard of it, just come back, Grotfen quipped. You better not be winding me up or I'll have your nads for knuckle bones. Would I do a thing like that, boss? I mean, would I? The shaman sputtered with a smile like, with a smile a crocodile would have been proud of as he hastened to sue the war boss before he did something typically violent. Nah, listen, the awesome crown of Gork is a relic what them all shamans put under the idol just in case it was needed for saving the tribe. If you go and get it, you can use it, all that wild and crazy magic, what's stored up in it, so stick it to stick it to them humans and make the tribe that powerful once more. The gold piece finally dropped into the cavernous void of Grotfang's brain. Battling the shame in his side and ignoring the subsequent yelp, he rubbed his craggy jaw with a gnarled and craggy hand. You know... I just bet that if I could get me mitts on that crown, I could use all that wild and crazy magic what's stored up in it to stick it to them humans and make the tribe that powerful once more. That's it! He grabbed the cowering shaman by the throat and raised him to eyeball height. Right, I wants it. I needs it. I gots to have it, bellowed Grotfang. Now! I do hope you like that story, and I have to say, the first time I read it, I could barely suppress a chuckle at some of these jokes, uh, especially me being an orc player, I recognize the the way that they talk, and uh, there's just a lot of nice things in here. So I wanted to share that with you. This sets us up for the first campaign, uh, the first scenario in this campaign. The scenario is called The Snatch. And the goal here is that the idol of Gork, it has been taken over by the Empire. The idol, the, the Empire troops, they try to tear the idol down, but it uh, doesn't really work that way. They, they start, uh, they got some workers who 
pull the statues down with ropes and the idol doesn't give and then at some point it does give and all the workers are squashed and that's something that's really unsettling for the Empire troops. So Rodgar decides to leave the idols alone for now and he leaves a small force to guard them just in case the orcs try to do something about it because well he does recognize that these idols are important to them. In this scenario Ortgit and his night goblins um, they attack the idols or the, they attack the empire troops defending the idols and the goal of the scenario is to get the crown. The battlefield is laid out in such a way that you have a hill in the exact center onto which the idols are placed. And with this campaign pack came uh, some cardboard buildings and one of them was a plinth with an idol of Mork that's attached to the plinth and an idol of Gork that's detached and that can be laid down because it has fallen over. The uh, Empire deploys on one side, the goblins deploy on the other side and the Empire they can put one unit really close to the idols except that they can't be on the goblin player's side of the table. In this battle the goblins have 1000 points of troops and they are the ambushers, they fight at night. The Empire also has 1000 points of troops. Because the goblins are attacking at night, they have the element of surprise. And this battle lasts for 5 turns or until the sudden death victory conditions have been met. And the sudden death victory conditions are that Odgit gets the crown of Gork and he stuffs it into his filthy robes. And at the end of that turn the battle finishes. And if Odgit is slain or routed of the table before he finds the crown, the battle ends and it is a victory for the Empire player. Other than that, you have to count up victory points. And if both sides have the same number of victory points, it's a victory for the Empire because then the goblins did not manage to get the crown. The troops that you can pick from for this scenario are the following. Odgit's raiders consist of Odgit, who is a night goblin shaman lord, a night goblin master shaman. He has the stats to boot, he has 184 points. He has a movement of two, weapon skill two, uh, sorry, movement of four, web skill two, ballistic skill three, strength four, toughness four, three wounds, initiative four, two attacks, and a leadership of five. He carries a hand weapon and the madcap mushrooms, the infamous madcap mushrooms, it's an enchanted item and the madcap mushrooms say that during the turn that any fanatic is released from the unit with the bearer of the madcap mushroom, that fanatic will cause an extra d6 hits in the first unit he moves into. There are some special rules that have to do with magic and we will get to them in a little bit. Apart from Odgit, you can have a goblin boss for each of your units, which may have a magic item up to 25 points. For your regiments, you can select goblin wolf riders. You can select night goblins, one unit of which may have a magic banner up to 100 points. You gotta love that hero hammer idea of having a almost 200 points general and then put him in a unit of night goblins with a banner of 100 points. That's almost half of your army right there in that 
one single unit because you only have a thousand points to choose from. And now we haven't even mentioned all those other nice juicy units that you can use. You can have any number of goblin wolf chariots. Any number of night goblin units may have uh, up to three fanatics. You can have any number of night goblin squig hoppers up to five per night goblin mob. You can have zero to one mob of night goblin squig hunters, zero to one mob of night goblin netters, zero to one unit of snotlings, up to one snotling pump wagon, and zero to five bat swarms. The army special rules are the following. The night goblins are fighting in their favorite conditions, deep gloomy gloom. They can fight better and they can see better than they would in daylight. So that means that the goblin player may re-roll any missed dice rolls to hit when shooting. So give your night goblins bows, gentlemen and ladies. At the start of the movement phase on the first turn, before moving any units, the goblin player may roll one dice for each of the units, and each unit may creep forward as many inches as the dice score, representing the cunning and sneaky gobbos keeping up stealth, sneaking up stealthily before the Empire Lookout realize what is happening. So you also get a free move, and that's at the start of the battle. Now, if the night goblins win the battle, then uh, Odgit can get the crown and they can take the crown to, to the general, to Grotfang. And the crown of Gork is, uh, I have to say, uh, the most important Orc and Goblin magic item probably in existence. And I really wish it would have been, we would have been able to use it outside of this campaign. And in this campaign, you can only use it in the final battle. Why am I so enthusiastic about this crown the crown of gork will give any orc and goblin army that um, that has it immunity to animosity as long as the orc warlord who bears the crown is alive you don't have to take any animosity tests during the rest of the game and it's only when he is slain uh, or possibly also when he is fleeing that the crown does not have any more effect on the troops with the way that i roll for animosity uh, this is an item that i would take every single time uh, no matter the points cost in my orcs and goblins army now what i also said uh, just a little bit earlier was that there is something going on with the magic and the reason for this is because the statue of gork has fallen down and the way that they that they did this is uh, actually very nice, very themey. To understand this, you have to know a little bit about Orc and Goblin magic in 5th edition. Normally in 5th edition, um, you would just be able to cast your spells and your opponent would dispel them. But Orcs, they are a little bit more crazy and they have to take a war test. This test is as follows. You have to roll a d6 for each shaman within 12 inches of a unit of orcs at least 10 strong or goblins at least 20 strong, not counting fleeing units. If you are not within 12 inches, then you automatically pass your test, but you cannot cast any spells. Now, when you, what you do with this roll of a d6, you add your level for your shaman. So in the case of Odgit, he is a level 3, he would add 3 to the dice score. 
and this die score must be greater than the number of orc units with of 10 or more or goblin units of 10 or more within 12 inches of the shaman once again uh, not counting fleeing units i believe it should be it should say that uh, no can't read it here probably also counting fleeing units and orc and goblin units in combat within 12 inches they count double because while orcs they generate wa energy the magic that they use um, by just being there on the battlefield in a big mob and by fighting what happens if you fail this test you have to roll on the adbangers chart and the adbangers chart that is uh, something nasty that's going to happen with you on a roll of a one you have adbang the shaman's head explodes which is obviously killing the uh, shaman and nearby units and nearby troops take damage on a roll of a two the shaman uh, vomits out an explosive blast of magic and he is unconscious the uh, roll of a three the shaman forgets a spell the roll of a four the shaman cannot cast any spells or use bound magic items this turn on a roll of a five one randomly selected winds of magic card is discarded immediately you know maybe in fifth edition you did not determine the winds of magic by dice but you had these little cards and it was like a little mini game within the game and on a roll of a six then uh, the shaman struggles to keep control weird lights flash around his head bubbles of magic leak from his mouth and ears you discard one mitten of magic card of your choice. And with five, you discarded one random mint of magic card. Now, Odgit, he has a he is fighting a battle where the magic is a little bit more wonky, or actually a little bit less wonky, because the idol of Gork has fallen down. Uh, some of the runes that it has been inscribed in are now upside down. Normally the idol would provide magical energy but now it sort of drains the magical energy because gork's idol has fallen down the two spells that are especially dedicated to gork in fifth edition the fists of gork and the hand of gork cannot be used uh, you you just cannot select these if you take them randomly just uh, throw them away and grab another spell or leave them out of the deck beforehand and another result of the desecration of Gork's idol is a, a, the draining effect I just mentioned. And the uh, result of this in-game is that Odgit always adds plus one on his dice score if he has to roll on the Adbangers chart I just read out. So no matter what he rolls, he will always get at least a two, so his head won't explode. Isn't that nice for Odgit? Now the Empire also have their own army let's not forget about them I, I may be a little bit biased towards the orcs so uh sorry if i linger too much on the orcs but well they are a lot more interesting than uh, puny yumis am i right the empire troops are led by manfred von bock he is a bock standard empire hero he has a movement of four web skill five strength uh, ballistic skill of five strength and toughness four Two wounds, initiative five, three attacks, and a leadership of eight. He sets you back 94 points. He carries a hand weapon, halberd, light armor, and the ring of volans. And the ring of volans is a, um, a magic item that contains one randomly determined spell from the battle magic card deck. 
This may be used once during the battle and it costs no power to cast. And there is a special rule which is probably the special rule with the best name in this campaign. The name of this special rule is Von Bock Von Bock Solid as a Rock. This is the famous war cry of Von Bock's soldiers. And the result of this rule is that any unit accompanied by Manfred may re-roll any break or panic test, like uh, he is an 8th edition battle standard bearer. Manfred is a huge man, furthermore, whose sheer presence is worth another rank in melee. Any unit he accompanies therefore also counts as having one extra rank. Now it does not say here if this rank is counted with the normal restrictions for rank bonus that you can only have a maximum of three combat results due to rank bonus. I think it is because it specifically says that it adds an extra rank and not an extra combat result. But well, that's the Hero Hammer era for you. They usually don't really um, clarify on things that should have been clarified upon a little bit more. Apart from Manfred, you can take a champion for each unit with a magic item up to 25 points. You can have any number of halberdiers, spearmen, crossbowmen and handgunners. And you can have up to one unit each of swordmen, greatswords, archers and halflings. And you do want those halflings because there are some more special rules that are also on this empire battle scroll. Because of the darkness, all the Empire troops uh, are at a minus one penalty for shooting. They just can't see in the dark, whereas the Night Goblins get plus one, the Empire troops get minus one. Uh, however, only the Halflings, they, can, um, they are unaffected by the dark. And the reason, I kid you not, is given here. They eat carrots in such vast quantities that their sights are unaffected by the dark. Only the halflings, for that reason, may make march moves in the darkness and the other empire troops can't. So, not only do you have to sort of resort to um, going slowly and having missile weapons, but those missile weapons are at a disadvantage. Take a big unit of halflings, I would say. And, um... The uh, other rule that is uh, here is Eerie Noises. And that is that the idols of Gork and Mork, they make eerie noises all night long. And this upsets the superstitious Empire soldiers. I know it would upset me if I was standing next to a fallen idol with eerie noises coming from it in the middle of the wilderness. No Empire troops may be deployed on the idol's hill at the start of the battle. And any Empire troop intending to move over or onto the hill must first successfully make a leadership test in order to do so. Empire has to uh, go around and they are really at a disadvantage here. But then again, the only way that the Night Goblins can win is by uh, stealing the crown. And that can only be done by Odgit because only he knows of the crown's existence. After the crown has been taken or not, uh, we go to the second scenario. And as with the Grudge of Drone campaign, uh, there were also two studio armies involved in playing out this campaign. And I will uh, give you the result of that battle. There's a little tiny battle report at the end where they give you a little bit of the ebb and flow of the battle. And also a list of all the troops used in this battle. And in this first scenario, um, poor Manfred, he died and the crown was taken by Odgit. 
The second scenario is called the ambush, and that is exactly what you would expect it to be, an ambush. It is uh, sort of similar to the ambush scenario from the Grudge of Drawn campaign. Although there's no big ravine here where you can drive the Empire troops into. What has happened here? Uh, Rudgar, he has sent messengers to Aldorf and the, he wants to recruit uh, well, probably several wizards, but he gets one. And this wizard comes down over that lone road from the uh, castle of the Margrave towards Radgarsberg, and it is on this road that the wizard and his retinue are attacked by orcs. And the orcs uh, fighting here, they have the advantage. It is going to be a short game, this is going to be only four turns. And um, just as with the dwarf scenario, there is a road running from left to right uh, parallel to the long edge of the board. The Empire has to deploy on the road and they have to face one of the board's edges because that is their direction of marching. In the middle of the board are a couple of hills uh, behind which the orcs have been hiding. And uh, behind those hills, uh, from the Empire's point of view, uh, is the orc deployment zone. The orcs go first because they are in ambush. They wait until the opportune moment, which means that the Empire player has to put his wizard in the very center of the column and then um, deploy the rest of the units um, in front and behind the wizard. Now, the Empire units, uh, the Empire troops, they can have war machines, and that is good because Empire does really rely on its war machines. However, these war machines in this scenario are on the march and that means that they are either um, drawn by the by war wagons you can have up to two war wagons or they are just simply drawn or rolled by the troops the first turn the empire player has to spend putting those war machines down and positioning them so the first turn they can't shoot and only in the second turn they can shoot, but then the orcs have already had two turns of movement. So your war machines are, well, I'm not going to say useless, but uh, a lot less effective than they should be, especially in a four-turn game. The sudden death victory condition is when the um, wizard is taken out, either slain fleeing or abandoned by the crew, the artillery, in the case of the artillery, uh, artillery and the wizard, I should say, are taken out. Um, and other than that, the uh, battle lasts for, well, the battle is played out, you get count victory points, and in the case of a draw, it is counted as an empire victory, because the orcs, they have to win the battle, or otherwise these reinforcements will be able to get through to Radgar, and the road of the Empire will re remain open so that more reinforcements can arrive at a later date. Now the Orc ambushes are led by Snaga, and Snaga has a war pack of 1500 points. He is an Orc big boss with the regular stats of an Orc big boss. He has a movement of 4, web skill and ballistic skill 5, strength of 4, toughness of 5, 2 wounds initiative 4, 3 attacks and a leadership of 8. Snagger rides a war boar and he costs 182 points. He has a hand weapon, light armor, 
the Spell Eater Shield, and uh, like I mentioned, the Warbore, giving him a 3-up armor save. And the Spell Eater Shield, um, in case you don't know, this is a shield that has the power to devour any spells. If you cast a spell against the bearer or the unit he is with, it will be dispelled on a roll of 3 or more, and then you have to make another roll to see if the magic card, the spell card, has to be discarded. Apart from Snaga, you can have an Orc boss for each unit, which may have a magic item of up to 25 points. You can have any number of Goblin Wolf Riders and Orc Boar Boys. The Boar Boys can have a magic banner of up to 50 points. You can have any number of Boar Chariots, Wolf Chariots, Error Boys and Orc Boys. And you may have up to one mob of either Black Orcs or Biggins and they can have a magic banner of up to 50 points. Now if the Orcs win, Rutgar will not be reinforced by the wizard, by Zorn as the wizard is called, or by his escort troops. And um, the road to the Empire will have been cut, so there will no, be no further Empire reinforcements. That means that the Empire player cannot have a wizard in the final battle, and he cannot have any war machines apart from a single Hellblaster volley gun, which he has already got. It is therefore important for your wizard to survive. And to do that, you can um, you have a couple of tricks up your sleeve. And one of them is that the wizard Zorn is accompanied by the army's general Ulrich. And Ulrich is an empire hero. He has the same stats as an empire hero. Uh, the same stats as, Count, as uh, Manfred. Not Count Manfred, that's uh, a vampire, different guy. Um, Manfred from the first scenario. Ulrich costs 151 points, he rides a war horse, he has hand weapon, heavy armor, shield and the war horse has barding giving him a 2 up armor save. He carries the horn of Urgog which is a, um, uh, a horn that can be sounded in the magic phase. All units within 24 inches are affected, enemy units in close combat must take a panic test or be broken and flee and fleeing units may rally, and I think that goes for fleeing friendly units. There is a special rule that Ulrich has, and that is that he is so determined that he is immune to panic, and any unit he accompanies will also be immune to panic. The uh, objective of this scenario is Zorn, the Empire Master Wizard, level 3 wizard. He is uh, he has a hand weapon and he rides a war horse he costs you 243 points he has a movement of four web skill three ballistic skill three strength and toughness four three wounds initiative five two attacks and leadership seven zorn may use either the battle magic deck or one of the colleges of magic and you can choose from which college he is if you do so Zorn carries the Black Amulet, an item that gives him a 4-up ward save, and in hand-to-hand -hand combat any wound saved by the amulet is rebounded, no saving throw allowed, not even for magic armor. Zorn also has a special rule, he is under Sigmar's protection, he believes that he is directed and protected by Holy Sigmar, and he is immune to psychology. Apart from Ulrich and Zorn, you can have um, more characters, the champions, champions are counted as characters in 5th edition, and each of these champions may accompany a unit, and uh, they may all have a magic item of up to 25 points. I'm sensing a pattern here. 
Now the regiments that you have, they are all 0 to 1 or uh, another number. There's no unlimited number of regiments that you can have. You can have up to one unit of either Knights Panther or Knights of the Blazing Sun that may have a magic standard of up to 75 points. You can have up to one unit of Pistoliers, up to one unit of Outriders, Swordsmen, Greatswords, Handgunners, Mercenary Ogres, Flagellants, these are all 0 to 1. You can have 0 to 2 War Wagons, 0 to 3 Great Cannons, and 0 to 1 Hellblaster Volley Guns. And like I mentioned, you have this special rule where the artillery cannot be shot in the first turn. In the scenario when it was played out by the studio, um, the Empire were able to ward off the Orcs ambush and the Empire got their wizards and their artillery in the final scenario. And the third scenario of this campaign is called the Battle of Troll Rocks. And in this scenario, it is a Grotfang who seeks reinforcements from neighboring orc tribes to um, get rid of the Humis once and for all. Grotfang, to do so, sends out his shaman, Drag. Drag has to go to uh, the other shamans of the other tribes nearby. And it is after a while that he finds Nazgop. Nazgop is an orc shaman. Um, who belongs to the Itchy Scab Orcs. He asks about the other tribes, uh, the Crooked Claw and the Broken Tooth. One of them has gone off fighting dwarves because they were a little bit bored over here in the Border Princess. And the other one has uh, been, uh, is simply no more. Uh, Nesgob then says, pull up a skull and park yourself as he will tell that story about this tribe. Now, something that really bothers me as an editor, uh, someone who, who likes language a lot, is that Nazgob is known in this campaign book as Nazborg, uh, B-O-G. Doesn't really make sense because uh, both Naz and Gob are sort of names for nose, which makes this a, a more logical to have him called Nazgob. He's called Nazgob on the... Uh, sheets in the campaign pack and to add insult to injury poor old Nazgob is depicted on the back of the booklet except that there he is called Odgit, uh, the Night Goblin Shaman. I really wish to have been working at Games Workshop in these uh, when these campaign packs were released and to unleash my editorial skills on them. Uh, wow that sounded a little bit more haughty than I meant it to uh, apart from the fact that back in 96 and 97 when these campaign packs were released, um, they, I, my, my English skills were just not good enough to be able to be an editor. But, well, you know what I mean. Nesgob returns to his camp. He gets the orcs riled up. And the orcs of the Scap tribe, they uh, go and mobilize. And they, they find a place to camp. And unfortunately, this is the wrong place. This is a place called the Troll Rocks. Now, Rutgar hears about this and he decides to send his trusty henchman, Conrad, with a strike force of cavalry to attack and rout the orcs. The leader of the Itchy Scab orcs is called Asgas. And 
Uh, Asgas and Conrad and Nazgob are the three special characters for this scenario. This scenario three lasts for um, five turns, five game turns that is. And the Empire, they are the ambushers in this scenario. They have the element of surprise. They get the first turn. The battlefield has a couple of rocks in the center, which are the troll rocks. They are very difficult ground and they are rocks where trolls live. A couple of orc huts, the, those are the same huts that you got with the scenario pack, those uh, cardboard buildings. Uh, the orc huts are placed on the orc deployment zone, um, at least on the orc player's half. Near the troll rocks, you got a couple of hills and you got a little forest. And that's the way that the battle takes place. Now the Empire player has to uh, discourage the orcs from joining Grotfang. And the way to do this is to set the orc huts ablaze. All the Empire missile troops, are, uh, at least the ones that shoot arrows, are considered to have flaming arrows. They have them for free. They shoot at the huts and they only have to hit the huts. And each hut that has been hit 10 times, that has sustained 10 wounds, each hit wounds automatically, uh, each hut is taken out. And if all four huts are burned down, then the Empire player has won this scenario. That's a sudden death condition. Other than that, you have the victory points. And if the victory points are a draw, it is an orc victory. Because even though the, the battle was a draw, the orcs are still there. And the orcs are still going to reinforce um, Grotfang with, for the final battle. The Itchy Scab orcs are led by Asgus. He is an orc big boss. A regular orc big boss. Uh, same profile as Snaga. He costs 185 points, uh, except that he is not riding a boar. He has a hand weapon. He has a magic item called the Obsidian Bladed Axe, light armor and a shield. Oh, and um, my apologies, it says here he is riding a war boar. Its profile is not depicted on the uh, battle scroll. Another one of those editorial flukes. The Obsidian Bladed Axe is a magic item that um, if a wound is scored, the victim gets no armor save and the armor is destroyed. And except if it is a magic armor that saves as normal, but it will still be destroyed if the armor save fails. Asgus has a special rule, Hail to thy Chief. He is the leader of a small tribe of orcs, but he is respected and trusted by his boys to an extent that is unusual among orcs. So much so that in your, when you are testing against Asgas leadership, you may roll three dice and choose the two best scores. So we have here a cold-blooded orc, same rule as the lizardmen have. This scenario wouldn't be complete without uh, definitely my favorite orc model of uh, all time, Nazgob. Nazgob is an orc master shaman, level 3 shaman. He has the profile that goes with it, movement 4, weapon skill 3, ballistic skill 3, strength 4, toughness 5, 3 wounds, initiative 4, 2 attacks and a leadership of 7. He will set you back 261 points. And he has a magic item called the Staff of Flaming Death. It is an arcane item that has been crafted by Nazgob from a dragon bone, inscribed with weird and wonderful orky glyphs. And strange fiery gems have been set into its length. 
The staff casts the Flaming Skull spell once per magic phase. It is a spell with a range of 24 inches. It strikes the first model or unit in its part for D3 strength 4 hits. And any unit that takes one or more casualties must make a panic test. Apart from these characters, you can also have the uh, bosses with their usual 25 points magic item. You can have any number of regiment of orc boys, orc arrow boys. You can have up to one mob of orc boar boys with a magic banner up to 100 points. Up to one mob of orc biggins with a magic banner up to 25 points and up to one unit of trolls. This is, uh, by the way, 1000 points that you can spend on this orc army. And if you manage to win as an orc, then Grotfang and his retinue will be uh, able to join... Uh, I'm sorry, um, Asgas and his retinue will be able to join Grotfang for the final scenario. And that means that you get an extra 750 points of orcs and trolls for this final battle. And the characters, if they survive, they can also be taken. Other than that, um, it, uh, I have to say that here for this final battle, the orcs usually have 2,500 points and the empire 3,000. So if you win this battle, you will have 250 points more as an orc player. And if you lose the battle, you will have 500 points less. The empire force, also 1,000 points. It is led by Conrad. An Empire hero with the profile that we uh, know. He is 121 points. He has a hand weapon, the Dragon Blade, right ar light armor, and he rides a war horse. And he has a shield, giving him a five, uh, sorry, a four plus save. The Dragon Blade is a magic item that um, each hit that you do with it causes not one but two hits, and you have to roll to wound for each hit. Now, Conrad can have a uh, retinue of Kislevite horse archers, any number of units, any number of units of archers, 0 to 1 pistoliers, 0 to 1 Kislevite white winged lancers, 0 to 1 units of crossbowmen, and 0 to 1 units of halflings. Each of these units can have a champion with the regular 25 point magic item. And the archers, horse archers, crossbowmen, and halflings, they are upgraded with the burning arrows for zero points. They will only use these burning arrows at the huts. So lucky for the orc player if you decide to take some trolls. The uh, burning arrows may not be used to stop the trolls from regenerating. And that brings us to the final battle of this campaign, the Battle of Rutgarburg. Grotfang is sort of fed up with the Humis in his land. Uh, he wants to take back the uh, former orc encampment that has now been re-Christianed Rutgarsburg. And um, he has got the orcs that will be able to help him. Uh, and by the way, I forgot to mention that the orcs won this scenario when they were played by the studio army. The battle for Rodgarburg is fought with the Orc Keep, the final building of the cardboard set in the middle of the Empire player's half. Uh, that is the old foundation of an Orc watchtower that has been shot down by uh, Frederick. 
And there are some walls that you have to place on the battlefield. Uh, these are the foundations that Rodgar has been laying. There are a couple of hills and um, some rocks. And other than that, it's uh, mostly Empire being hidden behind some obstacles and uh, trying to shoot at everything that comes at them. The battle is fought between 2500 points of Orcs and 3000 points of Empire, uh, depending also on what happened in previous battles. Now the Orcs of Grotfang's army, they are divided into three sections. You have the Iron Claws, which are led by Grotfang himself. He is an Orc war boss, 121 points. He has a movement of 4, weapon skill 6, ballistic skill 6, strength 4, toughness 5, 3 wounds initiative 5, 4 attacks and leadership of 9. He rides a war boar, has a hand weapon, light armor and shield, and he has the crown of Gork if Odgit managed to secure it. Like I mentioned, the crown of Gork ignores all animosity in the uh, entire orc army. Should the crown of Gork not be in the possession of Grotfang, then he will have the Sword of Bork, and the Sword of Bork is a magic item that will allow the unit that he accompanies, that Grotfang accompanies, to ignore the first animosity test. Well, nah, not really bad per se, but if I can choose between the crown and the sword, then I would pick the crown as I think any sensible person would. Grotfang has a special rule which is called Grotfang's Yell. He has a loud, booming, raucous voice, exceptional even for an orc. He inspires his troops with obedience. Grotfang can attempt to stop any fleeing by yelling at them. Such orky rallying cries as Oi, where do you think you're going? And come back here, you gits. If the fleeing unit fails a normal test to rally, Grotfang will yell at them. You have to roll 46 to see how many paces, and I guess this is supposed to be how many inches Grotfang's yell carries over and above the din of the battle. If the unit is within this distance, it can hear Grotfang and they will automatically rally. The only troops who ignore Grotfang's yell are trolls because they are stupid. And that is actually the, literally the reason that is given here. Grotfang and the Iron Claws are accompanied by Snaga, who we saw from the ambush scenario. They can have big bosses, the uh, Orc and Goblin heroes. They can have a war boar or a wolf, uh, if they are an orc or a goblin respectively, and they can have a magic item up to 25 points. Just 25 points for the heroes. You can have 0 to 1 battle standard bearers with a bat uh, battle standard a banner of up to 100 points that may or may not ride a war boar, if you so please. You can have a boss for each of your units as normal with a 25 point magic items. And for your regiments, you can take any number of Orc Boar Boys, any number of Goblin Wolf Riders, Orc Boys or Orc Arrow Boys, up to one mob of Biggins with a Magic Banner up to 25 points, up to one mob of Black Orcs with a Magic Banner up to 25 points, zero to one mob of Goblins, and these are Common Goblins, not Night Goblins. It does not specify Forest Goblins, but I guess those are also not allowed. You can have 0 to 1 Doomdiver Catapult if you have the, taken the ordinary goblins from the previous entry, 0 to 1 Snotlings, 0 to 1 Mob of Savage Orcs, and up to 4 Rock Lobbers or Bolt Throwers. It doesn't say, but I guess it can be in any combination as long as you have no more than 4 
of uh, them in total. Now, if the Night Goblins won the first scenario, the Snatch, where Odgit has to get the crown, then you can include troops from the Night Goblins section of the list. The characters are Odgit and Night Goblin bosses, and Night Goblin boss once again with an item of 25 points. You can have any number of Night Goblins, one of your units may have a standard of up to 100 points. Uh, these can have up to 3 fanatics. You can have any number of Night Goblins quick hoppers, up to 5 per Night Goblin mob in the force. Up to 1 unit of Night Goblins quick hunters, up to 1 unit of netters, and 0 to 1 unit of snotlings, up to 1 pump wagons. If you won the third battle, the battle for troll rocks as an orc player, you get a bonus of 750 points that can be chosen from the Itchy Scabs. The Itchy Scabs are led by Asgas uh, if he survived. Nazgob can be included if he survived the Orc Shaman. You can have your bosses with their 25-point uh, magic items. And you can even select big bosses, Orc Heroes or Goblin Heroes with a magic item of up to 25 points. It says here that these big boss may be useful in leading the trolls. So that's a little bit of a hint that you get there. Uh, regiments that you can choose. Any number of orc boar boys. They may each have a magic standard up to 50 points. Any number of orc boys. Any number of orc arrow boys. 0 to 1 mobs of biggins with a magic banner up to 25 points. And 0 to 1 unit of trolls. Now if the Ironclaw tribe wins this battle, then Rutgar's troops, if there are any left, are they are driven from the lands. The orcs have taken back their old tribal settlement and Grotvang will recapture the stronghold and refortify it. New idols of Gork and Mork will be raised as a victory monument and Grotvang's renown will be spread far and wide. So that's what you're all fighting for as an orc player. As the Empire player, you can have an army of 3000 points and it is commanded by Rutgar. Rutgar is a general of the Empire, it, he costs you 170 points. He's got a movement of 4, web skill and ballistic skill of 6, strength and toughness of 4, 3 wounds, initiative 6, 4 attacks and a leadership of 9. He rides a barded warhorse, he has light armor for some reason. He wields the Starlands and he has a shield, giving him a 3-up armor save. The Starlands is a magic item that gives you a plus 3 bonus when charging and no armor saves apply. And I'm guessing this is going to be a plus 3 strength bonus, uh, at least as if, if I remember it correctly from the magic item. Now the Empire Army's composition also depends a lot on what happened in the previous battles. You have Radgar, who is leading your troops, Manfred if he survived the first battle, Conrad if he survived the third battle. You can have other heroes of the Empire and each hero may have a magic item up to 50 points. You can have 0 to 1 battle standard bearer with a magic banner up to 100 points and he may either be on foot or on a barded warhorse. Any unit you have can have a champion with a magic item of, you guessed it, 25 points. For regiments, you can select any number of archers, any number of Kislevite horse archers, any number of pistoliers, halberdiers, or spearmen. You can have 0 to 1 units of up to 8 Knights of the White Wolf, a very small contingent. 
and they can have a magic banner of up to 50 points. You can have 0 to 1 units of swordsmen, 0 to 1 units of greatsword, 0 to 1 units of crossbowmen, 0 to 1 units of winged lancers, 0 to 1 halflings, 0 to 1 halfling hotbots, and finally 0 to 1 hellblaster volley gun. Now, if you have um, won the ambush, or at least if you have not lost the ambush, the second scenario, then you may include Ulrich and Zorn if the, they uh, survived. And you can have the list that was included with them up to one unit of Knights Panther or Knights of the Blazing Sun, up to one unit of Outriders, Flagellants or Ogre Mercenaries, 0 to 2 War Wagons, and 0 to 3 Great Cannons. If the Empire wins this battle, then the Iron Claw tribe will be ended. Whatever remnant of the tribe is left, it will either break up or migrate somewhere less dangerous. If Grotfang survives the defeat, he will have lost face before his followers and he will inevitably be disposed. The tribe will abandon its claims to the lands Rutgar has taken and Rutgar's hold on his new domain will be secure, or at least until another orc warlord shows up and you just redo the campaign from start. Well, it doesn't say that last bit in the um, in the battle scroll, but uh, you can, uh, of course, always replay these campaigns. When the studio armies played this out, uh, the empire was too strong for the orcs, but they did say that Grotfang, uh, in the end, he managed to, to get away. He snuck off when he saw that the battle was going really bad, and he is uh, roaming around somewhere, and, well, probably gathering up strength, maybe to retake this fortress of Rutgarsburg at a different date. You can easily expand this to have a new orc tribe coming along where Rutgarsburg is a, um, a fully fortified castle. You can play a siege scenario with this. Uh, there are just so many things that you can do with these campaign packs. Before we end, I would like to look at the Appendix 2 of this campaign booklet. Because in Appendix 2, it gives you uh, the idea to fight these battles using other armies. Now, in this campaign, you have the orcs that um, got the buildings, the, uh, the cardboard buildings, the cardboard terrain pieces. So, the orcs are a constant, but you can also play this campaign for example, with Dark Elves as instead of the Empire. And it will give you lists for each scenario what you can take. And another one, if you um, still haven't gotten enough of the Dwarves after the Grudge of Throng, is that you can fight a classic campaign between the Greenskins and the Stunties. That's it for today. We will end the uh, our review of the uh, Idol of Gork campaign pack here. I hope you all enjoyed this. I thank you very much for listening. And as always, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the War Games Orchard. If you enjoy the show, why not join us on Patreon? There you'll gain access to all of our bonus content for any level of donation. It's a great way to help us keep going and enjoy extra Orchard content. If Patreon's not your thing, please consider giving us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and sharing this show with friends. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard 
and The Wargames Orchard, or by email at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. 